thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. You can already tell how this service is going to go. Exodus chapter 17. I, um, I, I believe deeply in the church, in the earth, and um, I, my heart is for revival. I want to see revival. Uh, I think more and more, I, I'm just even more convinced that the answer in the earth, the answer in our nation, the answer in our cities is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is an awakening of the love and power of God, that it is what we need, it is the answer. And, uh, and I just believe so deeply in the role of the local church and the role of the church in that. Uh, but one of my concerns is, is that the church has become ineffective in so many ways because we have allowed things that are in the world to creep into the church. And I'm not just talking about sin, I'm talking about mindsets and divisions. As we look at the world, we see that it's divided. I think it's, we see that it's divided. It's divided around races. It's divided in, around gender. It's divided around socioeconomic. And it's also divided, and this is what I want to talk about today, around generations. It's divided around generations. There's a disconnect that's happening. And the problem is, is when we allow that into the church, we become ineffective in the earth. We become ineffective in what God is trying to accomplish through his people and through his body. And I think this last season has revealed a war against unity in the church and a crack in the foundation of the family of God. Now, I'm going I'm to encourage you today. I really am. But I do want to speak um, about a, an issue that we have to go after around this issue of, of unity, in particular around the generations. I would even tell you this as a pastor, what I've seen so prevalent in all of the issues that are facing us right now is there is a clear divide between the old and young. There is a clear divide that has come in that's, that's probably been there. It's, it's shown a crack in the foundation, but we have allowed it to creep in and we've made justification and excuses for why we would allow generations to be disconnected in the body of Christ, but it's something we have to address and go after. Exodus chapter 17, I'm gonna read this passage. It's actually the story, it's the first mention of Joshua and Moses, if you grew up in church at all, you would know the story where Moses goes on the mountain, he lifts up his hands, he gets tired, he drops some Aaron and her come and support him. But this is the first mention of Joshua, the first time we hear of Joshua. And uh, if you can imagine, uh, when the Israelites left Egypt, they left with a ton of plunder. Before they left, the Egyptians gave them a ton of gold. So you've got this million plus people walking through the wilderness with a ton of wealth, and what would happen is, is nations, such as the Amalekites we're about to read of, would come and kind of attack the people of Israel because they had so much wealth as they were wandering around and nomads. Exodus chapter 17, um, verse 8. I got this passage I've read many times, but when I was probably 25, 
I, I received a phone call from uh, a lady named Cindy Jacobs who is, uh, has a massive kind of intercession mobilization. She called me and said, Banning, we're, um, we're going to do a gathering in Colorado Springs with a handful of young leaders just to talk about how to mobilize prayer on campuses. We'd love you to come. So I said, hey, she said, can you come? I said, and she told me that she would be there and Lou, a guy named Luingo would be there. And I said, all right. I said, let me, I said, let me pray about it. And two days later, I had a dream. 25 years old. And in the dream, I'm in Colorado Springs. And I walk into this like theater type room. And I, I'm coming to the meeting that I was invited to. And in the dream, instead of a handful of young leaders, there was about 100 young leaders in the room. They were all younger than I was. And I noticed in the dream that Cindy or Lou weren't there. And I sit down, I was married at the time, I sit down with my wife in the dream. And I begin to notice that in, the, in, in this room, it was just full of chaos and confusion. It was just this spirit of chaos and confusion in the room. I remember, I remember that young people began to stand up and one of, them, one of the leaders stood up and said, guys, let's share testimonies. But instead of sharing testimonies, young people began to turn to each other and mock each other, criticize one another, make fun of one another, cut each other down. And I remember being so grieved in the dream over this. And I got up and I, I remember in the dream that I knew the reason why there was so much chaos happening in the room was because brothers were talking to brothers, sons were talking to sons, daughters were talking to daughters, and the fathers and mothers hadn't shown up. I get up and I leave in the dream, and a leader comes and says, Benny, we need you to stay. And I turn to him in the dream, and I said, if fathers and mothers don't show up to this, I don't have time to be here. So I wake up from the dream, and I tell Cindy, hey, I'll come. So I, I come out to this meeting in the natural now, and I come to the meeting, and sure enough, when I walk in, there wasn't just a handful. There was over a, about 100, mainly all young leaders younger than me. Cindy was there. Lou was there. A guy named Dutch Sheets was there. And we were in this meeting, and the first night, Cindy gets up, and she says this. She says, she asks a really valid question, because the statistics are mind-blowing on how many young people leave the church when they turn 18. She, I forget what it was, it's something like 85% of young people leave the church when they turn 18. And she asked this question, she said, what can we do different? Why, why is that happening? And I sat for the next hour and listened to people younger than I was stand up and go off on the older generation. Begin to talk about all the problems and this and that and what they deserve and all this type of stuff. And I remember sitting there grieved in my heart by what I was seeing, but also clarity on the dream that I'd had. But before I got to this meeting, I landed, I had a layover in Houston or something. And I was there and I don't always open my Bible up at layovers, but for whatever reason, I was sitting there and I opened up my Bible and I was reading and I came across Exodus 17. And if you've ever had those moments where the Lord's been teaching you something, but then you have a moment where it all kind of comes together. This is one of those moments for me in Exodus 17. Exodus 17, let me read these two. Verse eight. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And, we let, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. 
But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Here's the interesting part of this story. The Israelites were victorious because the older and younger generations were properly aligned. See, I believe that there is a war and its purpose is to disconnect the rod and the sword. That the older generation holds the rod of God. That the older generation holds what the Bible speaks about, which is authority. The rod of God being authority. That the older generation holds that authority, but that the rod must be connected in proper alignment to the younger generation who holds the sword. And what I realized was this, because the key, listen, I, I want to see revival. And I've given my, so much of my life, two decades, to call a, a younger generation to revival. But the entire time at a young age, what I knew is this. I can train them. I can equip them. I can call them and inspire them. But it is not the sword that is the key to battle. It is the rod of God that is in the hands of the older generation that's key. Moses, Wesley, John Wesley in his commentary talking about this passage says this. Moses' hands contributed more to their safety than their own hands. It wasn't the sword in the hands of Joshua that contributed to his safety. It was the rod in the hands of Moses that mattered most. And so I knew this, and this is the interesting thing. Now, I'm going to speak to the older generation today. I don't know where that starts. When I was 33, I said it was 34 and older. And when I was 34, it was 35 and older. And when I was 40, it was 41 and older. But, but we'll just, that, that older generation, I'm not, when I'm talking younger generation, I'm not talking about teenagers, just teenagers, teens, 20s, 30s, this type of thing. But, but, but I, want to, I want to challenge the older generation today. And I want to encourage you. But here's what I want to say. Moses was so key in this story that when the Israelites were losing, God did not send reinforcements to Joshua. When the Israelites were losing, God did not give the sword even greater skill. When the Israelites were losing, he sent reinforcements to the older generation. When the Israelites were losing, he sent reinforcements. And I believe that God is doing something with the older generation. And he is sending reinforcements because the older generation has to be in place properly holding the rod of God if we are going to see unity and if we're going to see breakthrough and revival in America. And that we cannot allow the disconnect that is happening in the world to creep into the church and embrace it. This is something because this is the pattern we see throughout Scripture. The pattern we see throughout Scripture is that it, it, is, the, it is the generations together that see the manifest destiny of God in the earth. It is, it is Mordecai's fathering Esther's that save nations. It is Elijah's that walk with Elisha's that dethrone Jezebel's. 
It is Paul's encouraging Timothy's who birthed New Testament churches. Again and again and again, this is the pattern. It is Moses walking with Joshua to bring people into the promised land. And there is a war against this thing. I'm not trying to be dramatic to you today. I am trying to peel back some curtains and say there is a strategic war that is going after, that is trying to divide races, socioeconomic, gender, but in particular, generations. Because the pattern in Scripture, and listen, I want to challenge you on this. There is a spirit of independence that we have allowed to creep in. And I'm going I'm to tell you, it's in the younger and older generation. I'm 45 years old. I got a 22-year-old, 19-year-old, 16-year-old. I'm older generation, not younger. But I'm going to tell you right now. And, and, and listen, I, I want to challenge, but this, this spirit of independence is in, is, is in by, I'm seeing it in both generations. And just, I'm going to talk to the old generation, but listen to me right now. I've spent over two decades calling young people to honor and to align and to submit and to walk with the older generation. I, I have preached out of this. You ever read a passage of scripture and you look at it and go, I, you, ever, you just read scripture and you're just confused. You're like, what? I don't, that, what? This is one of those stories. When, he, when Elisha gets the mantle from Elijah, he immediately sees a miracle of water splitting and then he goes in and he sees a miracle of the land being healed. He throws salt in. So, so, so Elisha gets this devil portion. He, he, he honors Elijah. He follows Elijah and he gets this anointing, this devil portion for miracles, signs and wonders. And he sees it manifest. Right after that story happens, there's another story. And it's this, 2 Kings 2, 23. Then he went up from there, talking about Elisha, to Bethel, and he was going up the road. Some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. You read those and go, what? But this is, this, is what I, this is what I realized, that God was showing young people their options. We used to preach this all the time to young people. Here's your two options. You can honor the older generation and receive a double portion anointing of blessing, favor, and signs and wonders, or you can dishonor them and be mauled by two female bears. Those are your two options. But here's the challenge that I feel so strongly. Well, I've been preaching to young people for a long time. When I read Malachi, and when I read the prophetic passage that says, I don't, I don't want to come and strike the earth with a curse, the land with a curse, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. Do you know who turns first? I believe that God is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children of the fathers, but it is the turning of the hearts of the fathers and mothers that must happen first. 
I want to challenge the fathers and mothers to move towards the younger generation. I want you to understand that there is a political spirit that has come in that is trying to separate the older generation from the younger. That in the name of fighting for their children, they are separating from those children because of the frustrations and irritations. But I want to tell you this, I believe that the older generation is key to revival and that you have to be in the right place. You've got to have the rod of God. You've got to be strengthened and you have to be connected to the younger generation if we're going to see victory. The older generation has what the younger generation needs. Younger generation, you can listen to what I'm about to say, but I need you to hear this for the older generation. You have what the younger generation needs. And I'm going to talk to you and I'll talk to you at the end of this thing about some hurdles that you're going to have to get over. But you have what they need. We see this throughout scripture. I could give you a list of 10 things. I'm going to give you four things. The first one is this. We see it in the life of Moses and Joshua that the older generation has wisdom that the younger generation needs. Deuteronomy 34, 9 says this, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Joshua walked in wisdom because he was connected to Moses. And it was not just, Mo it was a, and, and you see this picture, it's, it's an intimate, relational, walking with, because Moses was connected enough to lay hands on him. The spirit that was on Moses got on Joshua. It's not enough just to post things on Facebook and then be frustrated that the younger generation doesn't have the wisdom that they need to navigate all that they're called to navigate. It is our job as the older generation to draw close and walk with them because we have a wisdom that they need. You're quiet on me. That's okay, I'm right. <laughs> I remember, I, I just look at the younger generation, I just think, oh, you desperately need wisdom. You need wisdom. The Bible says that Joshua had wisdom because Moses was in his life. I remember I was, when I was youth pastor and I mainly only spoke to high schoolers, but I got invited to speak to a middle school camp and I, I didn't speak to middle schoolers much. And so if you've ever spoke to middle schoolers, it's a different universe. It's a, like, and how you communicate with them when you got to. So I was in my cabin trying to think of stories that would relate to middle schoolers. So I was just replaying stories of my own middle school years. And like every story was me stopping and going, what was I thinking? <laughs> One of them was, I had a friend, a couple neighborhood friends. One was named Drew. One was named Peter. And uh, Peter's house backed up to this massive field, cows, kind of 40 acres. And we used to go and play out there all the time. And one day we were out there, we had this old metal bat, and we were out just hitting rocks just out in the field. And we always tried to come up with games or something to entertain ourselves. We're sitting there hitting rocks, and all of a sudden I stopped and said, guys, I have an idea. They said, what is it? I said, here's what we're going to do. One of you is going to take the bat and you're going to stand with your back towards me. Then I'm going to go over here and I'm going to get a rock and I'm going to throw it over your head and it's going to come over your head and then you're going to try to hit it. 
as it comes down. Both of them were like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Did you just think of that right now? I'm like, I just thought of it right now. I don't know what to tell you. I just, it just comes to me and I think I'm really good at, you know, and they're like, all right. And Drew says, oh, I want to hit first. We're like, okay. And uh, he wasn't all there. And uh, so, so he comes over, he's got his bat. He's like, oh, this is going to be fun. And I'm like, all right. And then in my middle school head, I'm like, I really want my friend to succeed. So I better get a bigger rock. I better get a good sized rock for him. Right. I'm for this kid. So I pick up this big rock. I'm like, are you ready? He goes, yep. And I just chucked that thing in the air. And it's exactly what you think. He's standing here all happy, you know, looking for, bam, just, just lays him out. Hits him right in the head. You know, you just think like, you know, the older generation walks up and goes, hey, what's going on, guys? We just thought of a game. It's going to be amazing. You sure that's a good idea? Stop trying to control me, boomer. And uh, like, well, I don't know if you should do that. Can I show you this scar on my head, you know? The reality is, in so many ways, it's the older generation that carries wisdom that the younger generation, and hear me on this, when we allow divide and disconnect to come in, we're actually disconnecting the very wisdom that the younger generation needs to navigate successfully call of God on their life, all that's going on. The older generation has wisdom that we need. The second thing is this. I'm going to put them both together because they're around. They're out of the story of Mordecai and Esther. But the older generation has covering and they have courage. It's really interesting about, about Mordecai. You know, the story of Esther doesn't happen apart from Mordecai. The book is called Esther, but the story is just as much about Mordecai. The story actually ends with Mordecai being promoted. And there's a a picture of Mordecai covering Esther. This is Esther who was orphaned, lost both of her parents, and so Mordecai comes as a father in her life. It's just a beautiful picture. And when she's in the, she gets picked, she gets chosen, and then she's with all the other women, and it's like nine months of preparation. And there's a picture of Mordecai Listen to this. Exodus, Esther, Esther chapter 2, verse 11. And every day, Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. That's that picture of Mordecai just pacing back and forth, just asking, tell me about Esther. What's going on with Esther? I want to hear how she's doing. I care I'm covering her right now. I'm with her in this moment. There's a covering that the older generation has that when we are disconnected, the younger generation goes uncovered. And we wonder why so many young people are being taken out. This is this, Paul has a similar relationship to Timothy where Paul says, Timothy, I need you to know I am praying day and night for you. You are in my prayers. I am covering you. I think one of the great honors and privileges of being a father is to be able to cover my children. My son is 16. He's navigating a world that I've never had to navigate as a young 16-year-old man. And what I communicate to him is, son, you're not on your own. I'm walking with you on this, and I'm covering you in this. 
and I'm going to, I'm going to get up in the spirit and I'm going to protect you and I'm, I am praying for you. There's a great picture that my, my youth pastor, my youth pastor, I had a youth pastor friend. He tells a picture when he was five years old, his brother was eight. They had dug a hole in the backyard, filled it with water, it was all muddy, and they had frogs in there. And he had this one particular favorite frog. So one day he comes out as a five-year-old and he looks over and his brother, eight years old, has a handful of darts trying to hit his brother's favorite frog. (laughs) My friend screams, runs over, and reaches out to grab his frog. And when he does, a dart comes and just sticks in his hand. But his frog was saved. (laughs) I said, that's what I want to be for my son. That's what I want to be for a generation. You're going to be covered and there's going to be darts coming your way, but guess who's going to be covering you? Guess who's going to be praying for you? Guess who's going to be pacing back and forth, wondering how you're doing? There is a covering that the older generation has. This is why Moses is so important in that story. It's not that we looked at Joshua and say, Joshua, fight harder. Get better with that sword. You're losing. It says, oh, no, no, no. I can't lose my position of covering. The enemy's trying to wear me down so that I will step away from the very covering that Joshua needs. We don't just look to a younger generation and say, fight harder. How could you be losing right now? You say, oh God, I, I, want, I want to be strengthened that I can better cover. The older generation is the covering the younger generation needs. But the other thing is this, the older generation gives courage. I would say this for all of us. I, I, I'm convinced that the body of Christ doesn't need more teaching. They just need courage to do what God's called them to do. They need courage to have healthy marriages. They need courage to be pure. They need courage to walk out the destiny of God in their life. They need courage. You know who gives courage? The older generation. Again and again and again. Moses, God God commands Moses. He says this. He says, Joshua's about to go into the promised land. Strengthen, and he said, strengthen, edify, and encourage Joshua. God tells Moses to encourage Joshua. And this is the story, I don't want to read it, but in Esther, you know, we always preach at youth conferences that Esther was this bold, courageous young person who said, if I die, I die. Do you know that that is just, it's taken out of context. That wasn't actually her first response. Do you know what her first response was? Mordecai sends word to Esther and say, Esther, listen, you're in the castle for a reason. You're queen for a reason. Our people are about to be wiped out. Go stand before the king and plead for our people. You know what Esther sends back to Mordecai? Esther goes, yeah, I'm not going to do that. If I go stand before the king uninvited and he doesn't extend a scepter to me, I will be killed. You just don't go in front of the king uninvited. And I could be killed. You know what Mordecai tells her? You go read it for yourself. Mordecai says, listen, Esther, if you don't go stand before the king... God's going to wipe you out. He's going to wipe your family out. And he's going to raise up somebody else to do it. And then he says the phrase that we all love. But who knows, you were brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And then all of a sudden, Esther finds some courage. 
because she realizes either God kills me or I take my chance with the king. And then she says this, call a fast three days. I'll go stand before the king. And if I die, I die. Esther didn't even have the courage needed to fulfill the very call of God on her life apart from Mordecai. It's the younger generation that needs the older generation to speak courage into them. And they say, I don't think I can live a pure life in this society. We look at young men and say, you can do this. God will give you strength for this. When they're walking through things, when they're doing this thing, we need the older generation that will come and say, if you don't, God will kill you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that, I'm kidding. That's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. We're New Testament people. But... <laughs> there's a courage and, 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 and when the older generation gets disconnected the very courage that we need goes with them the third thing is this identity fourth thing identity you see this with Paul and Timothy that one of the main things Paul would do is he would constantly remind Timothy of his identity don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. See, when I know my identity, I live in security and I walk in confidence. This is how this works. Identity produces security, which produces confidence. We have one of the most insecure generations in history because they don't know their identity. See, we look right now, and I'm a challenge older generation because we look at a whole generation that is so confused over who they are, that is listening to absolute insanity around identity issues, and we become frustrated rather than realizing my job is to tell you who God's made you. It's, you know, in biblical, well, it's not as common today, but in biblical days, when you would name a kid, it meant something. It spoke to their identity. You know whose responsibility it is to name a child? Children don't come out of the womb and say, I want to be called Banning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's parents who name children and speak identity. Do you know there's a, there's, a, um, there's a guy named Charles Cooley who is a uh, hundred and some years ago um, is a sociologist. He's, if you take any sociology course, he's, he's considered the dean of sociology. And one of the concepts he came up with that he's known for is called the looking glass self. The looking glass self concept. And the concept is basically that our self-esteem or how we view ourselves isn't dependent on what we think about ourselves but what we think the most important person in our life thinks about us. Uh, it's kind of like how, uh, it's why moms are so important. <laughs> One of the reasons why moms are so important. Uh, because moms have this like innate ability to just believe in their kid. Uh, Tony Capallo tells a story about a friend he had who came home from school with an F and his mom looked at him and said, it just shows you they don't know how to, they don't know how to educate geniuses at that school. Like, that's a mom. Like a, like a kid comes home and like mom's, and they're, they're like, I got an F. Well, you're a genius. And it just shows you they don't know how to educate you. 
They're like, I am a genius. I am a genius. And now I believe I'm a genius because the most important person in my life thinks that about me. So my self-esteem and who I, what I view myself isn't dependent on what I think about myself. It's what I believe the most important person in my life. Thinks. Right? Are you with me on this? So, so it's our job to take the most important person, God, and speak that into a generation. And speak that. And when our voices are silent, and I listen to me, I'm not talking about on a social media platform. I'm talking about walking with young people. When our voices are silent, then they turn to the voices of the world to figure out who they are. Listen, this is, this is the reality, is that there are real hurdles to the generations connecting. There are real hurdles. And, and, and I want to challenge you because one of the things that I'm seeing is we're allowing these hurdles to justify the disconnect. As a pastor, I'm seeing this. I'm talking to the older generation who I love and adore, and I'm like, we need you. Like, this isn't going to work. And I'm talking to them, and I'm finding because of their frustration, they're just beginning to gather with other people their age who see the world like they do. And they stand over here saying, I'm fighting for our children while they're disconnected from their children because of, their, because of the hurdles that are real. I can give you a list of 50 hurdles. I'm only going to give you two. And the first one is this. Part of the problem with the generations connecting, and when I'm talking to you as fathers and mothers, is that many of you in this room don't know how to be a father and mother because you weren't raised by healthy fathers and mothers. Uh, this is not a knock on parents, but my dad is one of them. I'm very connected to my dad. I love my dad. We're close. But my dad was raised by a womanizing, arrogant man who didn't even want him. So my dad was not raised by a father who showed him love and affection and, 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 and all that. So, so when my dad becomes a father, he's never been fathered. How does he know how to father? So we've got a whole generation that, that we're never, because of the brokenness, because of, and listen, I'm not coming out, but because of some of that generation, it's like, I'll tell you what I love, I'll tell you what love looks like. I provide food for you on the table, which I'm grateful for, right? But that's the extent. And then all of a sudden we've got a whole generation of fathers and mothers who have not been fathered and mother. And so there's a real hurdle of like, well, how do I do this? especially when there's problems that come up at this level. But the second thing is this, to compound, to, to like compound that problem, we've got a younger generation. Again, these are general statements. They don't apply to everybody. There are the Perkins of the world that have figured it out. <laughs> but, but there's a younger generation that doesn't see, that doesn't want fathering and mothering and doesn't even see their need for it. Some of it's just natural independence of a young person, but some of it isn't even rebellion, it's survival. Becky Johnson, who's 33 years old, she was our youth pastor, she's our executive pastor at the church now. She, she came into our life when she was 20 and comes from a very broken home. Father left when she was five, you know, mom's in and out. It's just, it was pretty crazy and chaotic. So when she came in, 
there was just massive walls and resistance to fathering and mothering. But not because of arrogance, because at a young age, she learned this. If I have a need for a father, it will go unmet. I will be hurt. Therefore, I act like I don't need that. I live life independently. And then we come into the church and like, you need fathers and mothers. And they're like, mm, I don't think I do. I've actually been living a long time without it. And so as fathers and mothers, you know, your favorite preacher from California comes and tells you that you need to move towards younger people. And you're like, I'm going to do that. Let's do this. And then I run straight into a wall. I think this younger generation is just arrogant, independent. They don't want anything. I'm like, no, you got to keep moving. <laughs> it's a real hurdle. And there's a bunch of dishonor in there. And there's a bunch of arrogance in there. And there's a bunch of whatever. But, but listen, Moses has to be strengthened even when he gets weary. You can have the keys come up. I, I just, I hopefully, listen, I, I'm not here to rebuke you at all. I'm, I'm here to tell you this, that for the older generation, we desperately need you. And my concern in this past season is that we have let a divide come in. Because we don't understand each other. Because we believe the other generation is the problem. Because we believe, and I'm just telling you right now, we need to own this fact. There is a spirit of independence that is, that is in both generations. And my challenge to the older generation is we have to humble ourselves. And say, God, give me a heart can move towards a younger generation. You carry a wisdom. You carry covering. You carry courage. You carry identity that they need. We will not allow the division that exists in the world to exist in this house. We are better together. We are better together. And you know what? Healthy families have figured it out. Healthy families have grandparents and babies. And there's honor. Grandma walks in the room and that 12-year-old kid doesn't stand up to give her a chair. The whole room slaps him in the back of the head and he gets up because grandma deserves honor. And then grandma's doing nothing but celebrating, giving money, the biggest fan pouring into. Are you with me on this? Let me read a story to you as we close and then I have to go catch a flight. And it's, uh, there's snow on the ground from us Californians, so it's going to take me about three hours to get to the airport probably. <laughs> read this story. I read this story years ago. is by a guy named G.W. Rosenberry, preacher from 800 years ago tells a story of when he was riding on a train. It says, Rosenberry was riding on a train on his way to a speaking engagement. He noticed a boy in his late teens acting very nervous, moving from one seat to another. 
Dr. Rosenberry approached the boy and asked him if he could be of some help. The boy told his story. I used to live in Springvale, just a few miles ahead. The train goes right behind our backyard. My father and mother still live in the old house. Three years ago, I had a fight with my dad and ran away from home. It's been three tough years. I wrote my mom last week and told her I wanted to come home just once. And if dad agreed, she was going to hang something white outside the house so I would know that my father had agreed to let me stop. I told her not to do it unless father had agreed to let me come home. Dr. Rosenberry noticed the boy become increasingly agitated as he said, look, sir, my house is just a few miles ahead and I'm afraid to look. I'm gonna close my eyes. Would you look and see if you can see anything white hanging in the yard? As the train came around the corner, Rosenberry shouted, look, son, look. You could hardly see the house for white. There was a large sheet hanging from the upstairs window, tablecloths, hankies, pillowcases hung on every tree, all across the clothesline hanging from every window. The boy's face went white, his lips quivered as the train came to a stop. Rosenberry says the last thing he saw of the boy, he was running as fast as he could to the house of his father. I just challenge the older generation, put as much white out as you can. Put as much white out as you can. The hearts of the children have to turn as well, but I'm telling you it's the hearts of the fathers that must turn first. We refuse to allow division and disconnect to come into the house of the Lord. We're gonna cover we're going to pour into, we're going to walk with, we're going to speak identity, we're going to give courage, and we're going to hang every piece of white that we have outside of our windows to let the younger generation know this is a, I am someone that believes in you. I'm going to tell you again, older generation, you're key, you, you are key. I'm not up, this is biblically, I believe this with all of my heart. Esther doesn't, uh, Esther doesn't happen apart from Mordecai. Joshua doesn't help, happen apart from Moses. Elisha doesn't happen apart from Elijah. Paul doesn't happen apart from Barnabas. And Timothy doesn't happen apart from Paul. Stand up with me. so grateful for this house God so grateful for a church that just values your word and your presence above all else Lord even as just speaking to those over 40 even as myself at 45 Lord we just come and we repent of any independent spirit you know what somebody asked me real quick you look at me real quick independence the spirit of independence is when I say I don't need you Independence is, is I don't need you. In all honesty, it's the church in the suburbs telling the church in the inner city, we don't need you. It's the, it's the younger generation telling the older generation. It's the older generation telling the younger generation. It's, it's, it's different races telling, it's, it's this spirit of independence is I don't need you. And the reality is, is I do need you. This is the beautiful picture you see in scripture. Is that, is that Moses needed Joshua, Mordecai needed Esther, Esther needed Mordecai, Joshua needed Moses, Elijah needed Elisha. Do you know that Elisha needed Elijah because he needed all that Elijah carried and anointing he needed, but Elijah needed Elisha because Elijah went to heaven without seeing his mandate of Jezebel dethroned happening. You know who dethroned Jezebel? Elisha. 
was the generations that need one another. And that spirit of independence says, I don't actually need you. I don't need you. We do need you. So Father, I, I really do have to go. Father, I, I'm just gonna keep preaching. It's second service. There's not another service after this. Where are we going? Your game's not on till like tonight. Father, we just, just ask that you'd come and work out in our hearts all that we're talking about here. Come on, I'm going to turn this over. So good to be with you guys. Yeah. Amen. Let's just stay in this, this posture of prayer. Jesus, we just commit. God, the older generation, the younger generation, God, we commit fully to you. God, we pray for fresh encouragement of, of courage, of identity, of wisdom. God, we pray that on both sides, God, you would do a supernatural work in our hearts regarding this. And Jesus, I pray for each and every single one of us here. Just that incredible image of the Father setting out all of the white, covering all of the white so that the Son could come home. Jesus, there are some of us, God, I just believe there are some of us in the room that are far from God, that haven't stepped into a relationship with him because you say, I've, I've been too bad, I've done too much, I've gone away too far, and I can't come back. I believe today Jesus is saying, hey, the, the, the house is covered in white. You can come. And if that's you today, if you want to step into that relationship with Jesus, just right where you're at, I just want you to raise your hand, just all around the room, just raise your hand right where you're at. Amen. Online, everyone, yeah, keep your hand up. Amen. 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 You can put your hand down. I want to pray for you. Jesus, I pray for my friends right now. God, I pray that as we cross the line of faith and say yes to you, we say yes to coming back to you. God, that you would do a work in our hearts, God. God, hearts of stone will be turned to heart of flesh. Jesus, those past mistakes, God, you don't just cover them, you remove them as we commit to you. So Jesus, today we give you our all. And we say, come, live in my heart as I follow you wholeheartedly. I give you my life today, Jesus. Amen. Radiant Church, can we put our hands together for everyone who prayed that prayer? Come on, yeah. Amen.